Hey, welcome to another episode of Clear Lake Connections, where we talk to the people behind the businesses of Barry Houston, proudly sponsored by UTMB Health. A uh, special guest today with the Galveston National Lab is Dr. Gary Kobinger, and you are the director of the facility? That's correct, sir. Uh, tell us about this. I, I don't think a lot of people know about this facility. Tell, tell us what you do there. Um, a lot of work. So um, it's mainly focusing on the development and testing of vaccine and therapeutics. Uh, it does also a component on, um, you know, improving our knowledge of uh, not only um, pathogens that are local, uh, but also that are emerging uh, worldwide. So and, and it's to understand how they transmit, how they cause disease, how we can prevent that, how we can even um, now a big focus is how we can prevent the jump, as we call it, from, for example, the animal to humans uh, so that we can we don't have to interrupt or to prevent uh, infection at the human level, but more before it, it gets there. And how, how long have you been uh, at the facility? It's only a year. It's been a year and two weeks now. Okay. Yeah, almost to the day. So I remember back in the day, I think uh, during the uh, Ebola breakout in, in Africa, that lab played a, a significant part in, in, in that research. Do, do you, is, that, is that true? Yeah, that's right, because there is a, um, a vaccine that is now licensed uh, that is also offered to uh, lab workers working uh, with uh, the, the famous or infamous Ebola virus uh, that was you know, developed before the, out the big outbreak in West Africa. Um, including um, a lot of work has been done um, here in Galveston, uh, and, that's, and that vaccine ended up uh, being um, uh, rolled out, uh, if you want, in West Africa, and those, um, those doses basically uh, were linked to um, licensing of the vaccine after that, meaning the data showed protection in a real outbreak uh, situation. And this was communicated to the FDA, and then uh, after that, the FDA decided that this was a was a good vaccine, good safety profile, and uh, and saved life. So, um, and and I hate talking about the C word, but I I imagine the lab played a huge role. I know UTMB in general played a huge role in in the COVID vaccinations. That's right, because there was uh, one of the first wave of uh, extended uh, clinical studies, so people that were uh, uh, receiving the vaccine in a large phase three. When you do those big studies, they need to be uh, multicentric, we say, so there's different sites. Galveston was one of them, and so uh, they play a role for this, but also on the lab side, um, the an analyzing the data, making sure those vaccines were working well and, and actually turned out to be uh, beyond expectations. Uh, a lot of that testing was done at, uh, at uh, UTMB, yeah. So tell me the history of this facility. How, how, how was the site chosen, if, 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 if you know? I mean, it, it, it seems an odd location, but there's got to be a story behind that. Yes, because Galveston was a big port, and so a lot of people were commuting or arriving at the port, leaving from the port. And so the community, at, uh, as any other port, um, were also subjected to infectious, infectious diseases, traveling with people coming and leaving, uh, you know, from different location going there to leave and then from other location to arrive uh, in Galveston. So the, the early days, actually, of the infectious disease community in Galveston came from that, from, from really being a big port. Um, and uh, it started the culture, if you want, of, uh, of 
what I would call terrific top infectious disease um, knowledge um, right there. Yeah, I, I, I would have never thought about that. It makes sense, though. Wherever people are coming in, you're going to have a lot of that going on. Yeah. You know, another one is Boston, uh, New York. And look at Boston. The, their history uh, in terms of uh, scientific research in infectious diseases is, uh, is also top in, in the nation. So how many of these types of facilities are there in, in the U.S.? Uh, there is because there's certain levels, right? That's right. So, uh, so there's there's four level in in lab um, in in our biocontainment lab. Uh, so one that is that could be like the room here. Uh, two that is where usually you protect what you work with. You don't want to contaminate it, uh, so you protect that that work from yourself. Uh, level three is when you want to protect yourself uh, from a pathogen that can cause severe disease. Uh, but for which that could be a vaccine. Um, and level four is the ultimate level where they are pathogen that for which there is um, rarely a, a plan B in terms of treatment of vaccines for, for which there is no vaccine, no treatment, and they are, uh, they are able to, uh, to cause severe disease uh, and, and death uh, sometimes quickly. Uh, and so there's you know a spectrum of pathogen, that some that are causing... Uh, low, let's say, just a few people out of uh, a numbers will, will get severe disease, but it will transmit more easily. Or a pathogen that doesn't transmit very well, like Ebola, uh, but cause uh, not only severe disease and death in, in a high proportion of infected individuals, but also it's, um, um, it has a, a, a strong psychological effect, uh, you know, because it causes hemorrhages, for example. Mm -hmm. and. And this can disrupt, uh, including uh, a response from the, the healthcare system. You know, if healthcare workers start seeing com people coming in bleeding, it's, it has a different impact than, uh, and for the community as well. So, uh, so all this is a bit defining one to four. And so the level four are limited in numbers. Um, there's about 10 operating in the US. Um, the UK has um, three now, Germany has five, Canada has two. Uh, um, and, you know, there is o overall, I think we're at 52 worldwide. Okay. Yeah. So people are traveling again. Yep. What are some areas that y you would probably take pause if, if people were going to travel to and, and, and kind of maybe run down what, what some of the dangers uh, could be in those locations? Uh, you know, there's a lot of different pathogens in different locations that, that are endemic, and <clears throat> especially when you are not from those areas, you sometimes, you know, as we all know, if you go to areas where, uh, you know, you, you try to avoid water and, and milk just because you're not used to it and mm -hmm. you can get uh, you can get sick. Uh, the best is really when you travel is to look at the, the State Department has a great website uh, on recommendation of what to do, what to vaccines to consider to go to a travel clinic also. They know and then they ask you, okay, where are you going? Is there uh, malaria? Is there dengue? Is there what, what's, what's circulating there that could be... Uh, you know that could ruin your vacation. Yeah. Uh, so that's uh, that's always a great idea to look at that uh, before before uh, getting into uh, a trip. So so what are what are some of the things on the horizon that 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 you're seeing that people need to uh, or that you guys are actually working on that that you know give pause to 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 maybe somebody like you know what are some th what are some of the main things that you guys are you looking at now because it must be hard discover i know there's teams that go out and try to discover these pathogens and collect them but w what are some of the things that we should you know keep an eye on well for us um 
you know, we want to have better tools to quickly detect. Um, and that means the challenges are when they are emerging pathogen uh, that we don't have a precise knowledge on. You know, the first time that SARS emerged, well, it was found to be a coronavirus. That took about three months of, of controversy. Was it not? Was it? Um, and that's because we have never seen a coronavirus causing this level of severe disease um, in, the, in the airway because the coronaviruses that are circulating are common cold viruses. Um, they cause the common cold. Um, so th this three months window is too long. And with SARS-CoV-2, the, the benefit we had was the experience with SARS-CoV-1 uh, or SARS and that the, the identification that it was a coronavirus that could cause severe disease you know, came from SARS and in 24 hours, it was, it was no surprise. We didn't start working on is, is it, is it really the pathogen that is causing that disease that we're seeing, or is it another pathogen we're missing? So for us, rapid detection is the, really the A of the ABC of, of, uh, of a response, uh, an efficient response. Uh, with this goes all the diagnostic that follows, like how do you, you may have very advanced technology to detect, but how do you, go from that to spreading that knowledge to thousands and tens of thousands of hospitals for running their tests. So that is immediately a benefit to people that may or may not have, or you, you could question uh, as maybe uh, infected. Uh, so detection, diagnostic, and then of course, what is the ability that we have to develop, to develop vaccine and treatment very quickly? And so the White House has released a, a report where they set the bar quite high, uh, 100 days, which 100 days is long when people are getting sick and potentially dying. Um, so I, I think at the same time, it's good to have the bar very high because uh, it, it forces people to really go with innovation and all this. But 100 days to tell you how hard this is, is think about the time it takes to go through phase one to phase two to phase three studies, clinical, that's not even building that vaccine or that, that, that medication. Um, it takes, you know, when we did that, the exercise with grad students, I thought it was a great exercise to, to, to show them, okay, how long does a phase one take and two and three? And, and then they, they were removing the days and then they were like, whoa, we have two weeks left. Uh, you know, to make that vaccine happen. Yeah. And so, you know, we're not there yet. This is where the, the goal is, but I think this is another very important. Yeah, and I, I remember having a discussion with one of your colleagues about how if you look at the AIDS epidemic versus what we've just been through, just the time frame is just so condensed that that's right. Uh, you guys are making great progress in, in, in what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, in, in, uh, in all respect to different viruses we were lucky that uh, coronaviruses are actually in the field of vaccination it's not a, a very challenging target uh, to uh, to protect against uh, if it will have been a virus like HIV that today we still don't have a vaccine that works uh, you know that it would have been a different challenge so uh, um, you know all this uh, is uh, is a good timing also now to realized the little we know about the movement of those pathogen in the animal kingdom and how they, they jump to humans how and how we can prevent that uh, so there's a lot of work right now that is uh, and and so the concept of one what we call one health so what is that well it's to not just looking at human disease it's to look at 
that human disease comes from an animal, is this animal sick, is this causing animal disease as well, uh, is, and, and why is this passing to human? Is this because maybe, uh, you know, there was a new village or town or city that was, uh, that was built somewhere where this pathogen was endemic and never caused problem because people just didn't go there. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, by the way, that's how cholera started. It was in a very, very geographically uh, um, small area where people started going to build and then got it, got exposed to to cholera, and then it went worldwide. And, and well, and the world's getting smaller that's right. by the day. So I, I'm guessing that plays into you know the thought process that that you guys have, and like you said, trying to shrink those days that that you can identify these things. That's right. So from detection, diagnostic, the the building of vaccine therapeutics, and the, the entire knowledge of how these diseases are, all these pathogens are. Uh, are transmitting and where they are and what caused them to go from A to B. Uh, and this is what we do at the, the GNL, really. That's the main focus of all the work. How did you get into this field? Uh, very good question. I, uh, because now it's a long time ago. <laughs> uh, but I started actually on HIV. Um, and, um, you know, I, I thought HIV was a tough, a very tough. Um, so first I was in love with viruses and microbiology overall. Um, but uh, HIV was, uh, was different also because I thought it was affecting, um, at one point I, I was 14 years old and I, I watched a documentary at the time and uh, th this, this man was saying he was going to die because he had loved and I thought that was unacceptable uh, in my 15 years old uh, mind and, and I started working on HIV. At the time then that became more gene therapy because I thought we didn't have the tools frankly yet to uh, build a good vaccine against HIV. The virus was changing too fast. Mm -hmm. And that brought me to still focus on vaccine. Um, but while at the University of Pennsylvania, we just stumbled up upon a very interesting finding on Ebola on one of the protein, not the virus, they don't have a biosafety level four there, but on one of the protein. And then I started doing vaccine with that protein, thinking it would be a great target. So then I started doing Ebola vaccination. And then I started to do that, had to go, to, to work in level four. So then I started working in level four, and this is how it went and about. That's what brought you to Galveston. That's right, because some of the top scientists, uh, and I'm talking about some of the top 10 scientists in the field of biocontainment level four are here in Galveston. Wow. Yeah, so, you know, of course, I, I've known them for over 15 years. We became friends, and uh, frankly, this is why also I, this is why when I saw the, 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 the possibility of coming down, I thought, well, first, what am I going to really bring there? Because they're top, you know, they're the, the, the top of the top. And the second thing uh, that was making this more also interesting is that they are friends. And, and I thought, well, it's going to be a good time in addition to accumulate great data. So one year in and you're, you're happy with the move? Love the place, yeah. yeah. And I've never, you know, I'm from Canada, so I'm from a cold, cold climate. It was my first winter without shoveling snow last winter. <laughs> that was great. Uh, yeah, maybe I'm getting older too and appreciative of a uh, warm environment. Uh, but but listen, the work has been phenomenal. Uh, the place, the how great the people are, and why now I I see first end and close close look at why mm -hmm. it is that this place is so good uh, because it's not just the scientists; it's all the structure around them that is top. Uh, it's a very crazy well-oiled machine, and 
and what we are trying to, to me, what it convinced me is that we need to use this um, to, um, to try to help other locations, other labs, so that they don't reinvent the wheel, that this place is stopped. You know, we should be showing them how, how we do the work so that they can also uh, So you're benefit. sharing best practices with, with fellow sites. That's right. And bring them all up to hopefully that level. That's what we're trying to do. Awesome. Mm. So you, you mentioned there's four levels. Uh, obviously, the, the, the Galveston facility is a level four. Describe what that means in terms of the physical building and, and the protocols you have in place there. Yeah, so it's a highly uh, secure in terms of containing the pathogen. And it's slightly secure also in terms of access. So people that have access to those pathogen are the people that, uh, you know, are clear to work in terms of knowledge, experience, and, and access uh, um, on, securities, on the security side. Uh, so, so really what it is is a containment lab, which is not only level four, it's level, you know, one, two, three, and four, um, where we work on pathogen that are classified as dangerous, um, and where we work in condition that are um, making sure that those viruses are not going to get out of there, uh, that we can still accumulate knowledge in a safe environment, safe for the workers, safe for everybody. And so the way it works is really uh, this, the principle of a box in a box. Uh, so there's so many layers. Uh, so if you go to four, uh, you have not only physical layers, so a room in a room if you want, and then the pathogen is only uh, worked in, in, in containment, condition within the lab um, but on top of it you have all the system are uh, overlapping so that if you have a power failure uh, we have um, a direct access to power including generators two of them uh, so that if one fails you have another one and so we are three four five six layers sometimes of uh, overlapping system that if one fails, we'll have a second one, and then a third one, and a fourth one. Yeah. Um, so, so this is really what the GNL is. The old two is one and one is none theory, especially on the generator side. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So when when the the lab was built, so first historically there was a lab there, and there was uh, the first level four in academic setting was the Shope lab. Um, when when the big lab was built in the community, including in the community of level four workers. We were like, hmm, interesting location for building a level four in, in Hurricane Alley, as we we say. Uh, but, you know, first, every location on this planet has issues. So it could be, um, uh, you know, uh, earthquakes. It could be hurricane. It could be uh, sudden flooding. It could be. And we see now also more s uh, a storm, you know, being, um, I mean, Canada just had their first hurricane. Um, so there's that. But. Now that I'm there, I can tell you one thing is this building is so solid that it, it really is not a big issue. It needs some level of good preparation, which there is every year. So during hurricane season, activity go down. And it's a good time for scientists to write their papers and, and do other things. Uh, but we don't do a lot of work in the lab in those, in those days, mm -hmm. just in case, mm -hmm. you know. But... The, you know, interestingly, at one, the last big hurricane, Ike, mm -hmm. uh, the two generators were offered to the hospital because there was nothing happening in the building. This building is so solid, uh, but the power was able to produce enough energy for the hospital uh, and the community, as a matter of fact, so uh, if, if needed. So, uh, you know, there's, there's things that are being done every year just in case uh, there is a, a disruption. Not so much at the building level, but people. 
people need to be with their family. We know we they they, they want we they won't be expected to work at the lab, so we we are ready to shut it down and make sure it's it's done safely. So it sounds like you have a really great partnership with UTMB. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's part of UTMB, and they okay. So it is part of the UTMB system. Yes, okay. absolutely. And so we we benefit from the GNL benefit from all the all the the surrounding tools, uh, you know, at, including their emergency response, as a matter of fact, that is extremely well uh, um, in place, in my view. They get weekly report of, of the weather, for example, that uh, is, is, is really nice. Yeah, all the, all the people I've talked to, they love the culture at UTMB, that it's, you know, education and thriving and, yep. and really growth mindset. Yep. You can smell the neurons uh, frying <laughs> when you walk. <laughs> it's good. So UTMB is such a, a good teaching hospital. I, I presume that, that you guys partake in that and, and are really trying to, you know, train up the, the next generation of, of uh, Absolutely. Researchers. I mean, you know, the big advantage of having a level four in an academic environment is the training part. It's a real mandate. And so it's not only the medical students, but also all the grad students, uh, master, PhD, postdoc. Um, they are the real heart beating within the GNL because they are doing the work. And so training is very important. And in return, it's very important to have those, uh, those uh, uh, physicians later on to have the knowledge on those dangerous pathogens so that they can recognize them and treat them with, uh, with the best tools uh, if they encounter that uh, in the community. Well, thank you very much for joining us. You're most welcome.